Welcome back to the Every Effort Podcast. We are so blessed, a little stressed, and making every effort to figure out the rest. My name is Matt, and I have my co-host Jocelyn here with me. We are a young married couple just having conversations to help equip young adult Christians with all of the wisdom, knowledge, and little nuggets that we need to get through life to figure out our career, our relationships, our faith. If you haven't listened to part one of this wonderful conversation, please go back and listen to the last episode. Without further ado, we'll jump right back in. I don't know if we've we've asked yet, what happened to Uncle Robert? Like, do we need to worry about him coming through our front door or... (laughs) <laughs> is he out still out there i'm not worried about him coming through my front door but uh, <laughs> uh he's he's uh he's still alive as far as i know and, and i can you know it, it's pretty clear to me he is because i always tell people that you know the, the moment Paige or her parents you know do come out of it and i for years would pray that she would have a road to damascus type moment and, and see um i would find out i would know mm-hmm. and um so, you know, her behavior, because she denies all of this, she denies there's a cult, she denies all of the, all this, she thinks I'm still the devil and Satan and the sorcerer and a liar and all that, and, and so it doesn't believe me. So I, I know that they are still, they've got to be still in contact. If they're not, you know, she still believes everything that he said. Mm-hmm. I have not seen him or spoken to him in five years, almost six. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it sounds like, I mean, as I can imagine, there was so much pain and trial just trying to separate yourself from that cult. What was your kind of, you know, op- eye opening or um, epiphany moment? Mm. Well, pain is the right word for it. You know, when, when she left me, it was January 14th. I can remember the day, 2017. It was right here in this room, right behind me. Her her, par- her father and she sat down with me and, and she wrote, read this prepared statement and, and I still have it and it's just as crazy as a $9 bill but I was a wreck and I uh, couldn't sleep I lost 30 pounds I would sleep about an hour a night it was never suicidal but it was awful I mean I, I hit rock bottom I didn't hit rock bottom I bounced hard on rock bottom mm-hmm. <laughs> for months and uh, and at the time the crazy part is that I, I felt like the only person I could talk to was Uncle Robert my family didn't know we didn't even tell our kids for about a month what was going on nobody in the community knew and of course, here's, here's Robert Booty's the, the entire reason I'm going through this. And I thought he was the one that would save me from it. Hmm. So the aha moment would have been a number of them when uh, I finally started to reach out to my friends and family. I finally told my family four months after she left me that she left, taken the three youngest kids with her and, you know, was calling me the devil. And, and, you know, they were stunned. They immediately supported me, showered me with love and comfort and support. And then I would start sharing emails and letters that Paige and Uncle Robert would write me. And I was so used to their over-the-top, in-your-face, Peter, why are you such an idiot type of language. I was just used to it. They would read it, and they were instantly alarmed, as you would if, if I showed you any of these letters. Hmm. And then I started saying, oh, you know what? You're right. That's, that's not right. That's wrong. So it was a number of those moments. And I would have been brainwashed for a little over two years. Guys, it took me a full year to recover. A full year. Wow. I mean, looking back, I don't know if it, I don't know if a year would be enough for me. I mean, just that where is reality? What is up? What is down? I I can't imagine what that was like going through that. I remember one of my brothers, my four older brothers, you know, all Christians, grew up in a Christian family. You know, I I never knew anybody in a cult, never thought I'd be in a cult. And really, you know, another point to get to, I didn't think it was a cult until I finally read a book about cults, like a year later. I'm like, yeah, I know it was, it was bad, but it wasn't a cult. And then I started underlining and highlighting half the book. I'm like, it was a cult. Mm. But one of my brothers, 
read one of Paige's emails because I would send the emails to a friend, a couple of my brothers, and, you know, what do you guys think? They had been very patient with me for about two months. You know, I said, listen, guys, just please support me. Don't say anything bad about Paige or Uncle Robert because I wasn't ready for it. He finally was like, I, I just can't do it anymore. Like, I, what she's doing is so egregious. And, it, and just he, he just rattled off all the things he was doing. And I was stunned. I mean, to me, saying something negative about Paige or Uncle Robert was like swallowing a sword, picking up a snake. Like, you're taking your life into your hands. That's That was my mindset. And I look back now and I think, oh, my God gosh like how did it get there mm-hmm. but remember it took nearly 20 years it was a long process hmm. right yeah I, I think I might have mentioned this when we were talking previously but our pastor just had a sermon where he talked about that is that change happens slowly and then suddenly like you don't notice it day by day but you do have that moment where as I'm sure for you 17 years later all of a sudden life looks way different than it did but from one day to the next it's a very slow very creeping change that you don't notice it yeah and also what creeped in was you know we've, we've talked about you know having somebody act as a gatekeeper to God and get in between your relationship with the Lord which there should be nobody there we, we have a direct connection there are no grandchildren there are sons of God there are sons and daughters but are not grandsons and granddaughters <laughs> of the Lord right? right okay so uh, but also in our marriage there was creep and um, you know in between the husband and wife should be the Lord and nobody else no pastor no priest no child you know, you're a family even before you have children you're a family all of those people should and could help but from the outside right from the outside we had a guru a co-leader in between Paige and I well our marriage was doomed and so again the point is the only person in between you two should be the Lord everybody else can and should help but from the outside be supportive mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah I think that seems to be the source of a lot of uh, faulty uh approaches to the bible is like oh you need me in order to have a connection with god um you know certain sects of christianity do it um it doesn't even have to be christianity it could be like an idol right like that's literally something between you and who god actually is um i think your story is so important though i i definitely didn't experience something as extreme as you did peter but I do see like signs of like an amount of control like in a church that I was involved in that was I didn't see it until I was out and that's when I really started to question like how like how did I not see it then like like everything Mm. made sense like over time you just kind of excuse things as they come or you're like oh well at least I wasn't in that conversation so it didn't really affect me so if I just try to i think you said like get get along to fit in or something along those lines and it's it's like well if i could just figure out how to you know appease people and not kind of make drama then everything will be fine and maybe this is the right way to do things um but then yeah seeing like the level of detachment that they wanted from members to be from the actual world right like not being able to have non-Christian friends because all of your all of your time needed to be spent within the church or doing church things, or even like being controlling of like your romantic relationships and who you can or cannot date and having to get approval from leaders before doing so was yep. just like look at like just looking back like that sounds ridiculous <laughs> to talk about now, but back then it was just so easy to rationalize. It's like well if I yep. could just 
I like maybe I don't actually care about these things as much as I thought I did and and I don't know where I would go or what kind of friends I would make if I left so why would I even consider leaving and then yeah the the kind of cold cut that it felt relationship wise to leave and to essentially feel like I I lost all those friendships and even leaders was pretty clear to me of like, you know, this isn't normal. Like people don't just leave an organization and, and suddenly like don't have any relationship with anyone in it. Yeah. There's, uh, there's another book out there that I read that I really enjoyed and it kind of makes the, the distinction that there's a difference between a cult and then dysfunctional or abusive culture, right? Mm. So you could have an organization or a church that's, that's not a cult, but has really dysfunctional or un- unhealthy culture. And there's probably a very fine line between the two. Along with what you just said, you know, I think about our relationship with uh, Uncle Robert, you know, and again, the, the, the idea of, you know, don't throw your pearls before the swine. But it also talks about um, beliefs on the Sermon on the Mount that you know we don't you don't light a candle and hide it and put it under a bowl, right? You put that candle on top of the table so it can light the room. So yeah, you know we would be great if we had all Christian friends and everybody in our work was all Christian, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the world we live in. So we have two choices, right? You know we isolate and hide ourselves in secrecy and paranoia because we're afraid of the world, or we go in the world as a light because we are victorious. Another thing, I just thought of it, just came up because, you know, along the lines of victorious, Uncle Robert would talk about, you know, when you first become a Christian, which again, he was only talking about the people that he had saved, supposedly saved. He wouldn't have come around and said it, but in reality, you know, nobody in our little group was a Christian until they'd gone through it with him. And he would always say that, you know, they're very vulnerable. They're very vulnerable because they're a brand new Christian. They're a babe in the Lord. And, you know, my in-laws and my wife, you know, were still vulnerable years later, Right. And it's like, wait a minute, I've never heard that phrase before, but we have the victory in Christ, right? We're not vulnerable. We're victorious the moment we're saved. Now, yeah, we got a lot of learning to do, but we're not vulnerable. And I remember that just, that was, these are things that I never would have thought of while I was under his mind control. It wasn't until much later after on where the Lord had given me the wisdom to see it. Yeah, and there's even just the the word vulnerable kind of, it gives a connotation of like, oh, they, they need me to do something to protect them or I have to step in and do something. I think there is there is some truth to be said of like a new Christian needing to learn a lot and maybe, maybe struggling like the first couple of years and making mistakes, right? Like that's to be expected. Um, Before becoming a pastor, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, before becoming a leader. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that, yeah. Yeah. And I do, I, I have heard that word still used today, but in a completely different context where it's like, it's like, hey, like so-and-so just became a Christian. They're trying to make this big life decision. Um, I don't think that they should do this thing. I don't know how to tell them. Um, and then people will kind of be like, be, and talk and be like, oh, well, you know, they're a new Christian. Like they might be more like vulnerable to like that group because that's what they were a part of before. Um, but it's never like, like, oh, I need to, like, I need to be the one to redirect them. It's like a healthy way of calling a Christian vulnerable is like, I need to, I need to give them my advice and my, my counsel in like a caring way, but it's ultimately up to them. It's not my job to convince them, but it's up to them to make a decision from that. Yeah. And again, the vulnerability that he would, you know, always reference always went back to him and his tutelage and his direction and, the, the vulnerability was never, 
It never had to do anything else other than the amount of time that you had spent with him. The more time you spent with him, then the less vulnerable you became. So again, it's like, you know, well, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like there was so much guilt involved as well, right? So there's this vulnerability, and then there's also the guilt and the shame. And, and of course, you know, well, Uncle Robert's, you know, teaching, again, I'm thinking about mostly about my former in-laws. And yet years later, years later, after supposedly, again, they're in their 60s by now. You know, I had professed faith in the Lord for decades, but I had been convinced they hadn't been saved, which was utter nonsense. But years after being supposedly saved by Uncle Robert, they still would be just overcome in certain situations with guilt and shame. Hmm. And I remember thinking, at what point are they going to ever move beyond that? And of course, now I know the answer. They never will. Ever. Because Uncle Robert won't let them. He'll never let them because that's yeah. part of his control. Only when they distance themselves from him will they ever be a true overcomer. Yeah. So even like even Christians who have been saved, can can guilt and shame still be important for Christians in any way? Like is is it a church's responsibility, assuming like this is the context of a church, like to remind its members of their sin and to feel guilt in order to then repent? Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a difference between trying to use guilt and shame and being honest and, and being aware of who we are. We are sinful human beings, again, in need of a savior. I don't think there's any guilt and shame in that. But I think you can also say something very similar and use guilt and shame as a way to try and get something from that person, whether it's trying to guilt or shame them into tithing more or showing up to church more or whatever it is. So I don't really feel like guilt and shame should be used or really should be a large part of the Christian's life. Let me say this, though. Let me add something to that. Again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, as a Christian, you won't have these emotions anymore because when Paige left me and then my kids left, uh, she took them with me, I was a wreck. I was distraught and I would be, you know, bawling on the phone and, and Robert and then my in-laws and then, of course, then Paige as well were alarmed. Well, if you're a Christian, you wouldn't react this way. You wouldn't be so upset. You wouldn't cry over this. You just move on and get on with it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Have you ever read Psalms mm-hmm. <laughs> and David? crying out to the Lord. Same thing with the New Testament. The disciples went through all of these emotions, right? I mean, you know, guilt and shame and anger and this and that and ego and pride. And so, well, I mean, if they went through it and they were literally right there with Jesus learning from them, you know, we're going to experience the same things. Mm. So again, I guess the point would be then, like, you know, if, if we fail, which we do, uh, if we struggle with pride or we struggle with this, that, or the other, to me, the, the, the response should not be guilt and shame. It should be humility. Thanks, Lord, for saving me. Thank you. Yeah. This is why I needed to be saved. Right. Yeah, I think I had my sister tell me once that, like, it's never, it should never be someone else's job to make you feel guilt or shame. Like, like your own humanness will, will do that for you. And the only... Drives you to the cross. Yeah, and exactly. And the only way out of that is through... The redemption of Jesus, and so, yeah, I, I asked that specifically because the church that I was, the questionable church I was a part of, they they would constantly, like, very regularly try to turn a sermon into a way of making you feel really bad, and then they would always have ways to make you write out or verbally say what you're specifically specifically going to do in that church, or um, 
What are you going to change specifically because you feel all this guilt and shame and like you can't escape it because clearly you're guilty of something. And that was kind of something they said a lot of is like, if you feel guilt, then you're probably guilty and you need to do something about it. And, and if you didn't write anything on your card, then they would know about it and be like, Hey, is something wrong? Like, do you not like Jesus? Do you not like growing as a Christian? And it's like, (laughs) whoa, whoa. Yeah, that sounds a little dysfunctional. (laughs) Again, to me, you know, the the cross is is victorious. And, you know, we we go to it, you know, on our knees, realizing, you know, who we are. But, but yeah, those are not emotions, you know, that we we, we dwell on. We we dwell on the fact that we are blessed (laughs) to be forgiven. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to take this chance to to pivot a little bit. As I was reading through your story, um, I was reading about this dream that you mentioned earlier that's obviously the inspiration for the title for the book, uh, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And as I was reading it, I just, I mean, I got chills. I It was so powerful, and I feel like there's so much psychologically and philosophically to, to dissect here. But it, I felt like it was really timely for me because I was reading uh, the story of Genesis and about Joseph interpreting dreams. And so I, I want to understand what your point of view is on how far we should go to interpret dreams. Like if I come to you and I say, hey, Peter, I had a dream last night where I was on a flying pirate ship and we were fighting Frosty the snowman. Like how much should I take from that? Where where do we go with those? Right. So as I even quote in my in my book, as a friend of mine here in Montana that does have his uh, you know Masters in Divinity, and you know he, he's read my book and he you know, he knew the story before I even wrote it, and he said, "Listen, Peter, again, it's like he's God; he can do whatever he wants, right? So if if anybody says, you know, well, I had the Lord told me this, right, and then fill in the blank, whatever it is, if whatever that person said does not match, I'm talking 100 percent down to the atom of what the Bible says." Sorry, that wasn't from the Lord. Um, and he says, you know, that might have been the pepperoni pizza you ate last night. Um, but it wasn't from the Lord, right? And so if you have a dream, and it, and it absolutely matches up with the Bible. And, and then he, another thing he said, too, was he said, you know, listen, if this dream really was from the Lord, why stress about it? It'll come true. Thought, wow. And now that doesn't mean that Peter's going to get it and come back to me. I'm not saying that. Because so much of what was in the dream already has happened. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, anyway, so um, I, I, I could say this, you know, we used to live in Idaho, we used to have a lot of Mormon friends. To me, and I, I just want to touch on this when it comes to the dreams, because to me, this is kind of the Pandora's box of Mormonism, is that, you know, the, the, the men are allowed to have interpretation, right? So then if they have a dream or they have some kind of interpretation, but the Lord told me this, the Lord told me to chop off my neighbor's head. Well, you know, hey, he's a Mormon and he said he could do that. Time out. <laughs> okay. Again, no, that's not the way the Bible works. If the Lord told you something, it will match 100% with what the Bible says. If it doesn't, you did not hear that from the Lord. Mm. I hope that makes sense. It does. And I think that's something we need because I can definitely get in that place where I want to hear from the Lord so bad that I'll start trying, right? And then I'll start yeah. thinking, oh, was that the Lord? And I think that's such a good right. test to have. And I think you're right. If it's not 100%, then if it is or it isn't, that's not up to me. It will be done. I can continue trying to pursue Christ's purpose for my life. And either the dream comes true or it won't, but my forcing it or trying to make decisions based on what I'm trying to kind of imbue on God as his purpose for me isn't going to accomplish anything. Yeah, you know, listen, guys, I'm 55, um, you know, and I was married for 20 years. And if I look over the course of my life, um, I would say there was only one dream that ever really I felt like, well, this was from the Lord and this had meaning and it wasn't even given to me, (laughs) but it impacted me. 
So it's not like, you know, the Lord's speaking to me every night, or at least not that I know of. I mean, maybe he is. But in terms of, it's not like, you know, again, I'm having dreams repeatedly. Well, the Lord told me this or that. Literally, at my age, 55 years walking here on earth, there's really only one dream that I could say, yes, I do believe that was from the Lord. And that did have an impact on me. That might be a whole discussion just about the expectations as a Christian, because I, I can feel that too, where when I first came to faith, it felt like there would be these majestic dreams like you read about in the Bible in very exceptional moments. And I find now the way the Lord speaks to me is exactly in the text I'm reading or exactly in you know that verse that I'm hearing in a different way or in a, in a worship song. Like It's not this grandiose, over-the-top, amazing thing, but it is in small ways that you feel the Spirit moving you. So I remember hearing this this quote. It's it's so great because it goes along with right what we're saying. But you know, somebody says, "Well, I, I want to hear the Lord speak to me," and the person says, "Well, read the Bible." I said, "No, I really want to hear the Lord speak to me." And then the person says, "Read the Bible out loud." <laughs> That's the Lord speaking to you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard some pastors even say like, even if you just like knew about salvation or how to get saved by Jesus, like technically that 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 would be enough for us without the Bible, but it's so great that we have a source and that we can actually look back on. And this pastor also said, like, even if God didn't do anything else for us, be it like a dream or taking us out of a situation we don't like, even if nothing else was done for us by God, like his grace would still be enough or like he would still be enough for us. And that was such an amazing thing to grasp of like, like even as Christians, we still look for signs or like we still want to see something more. We want to have that more more direction and i have something i've been learning more of recently is to just simplify things a little bit like try not to you know read between the lines sometimes things are just literal you know like <laughs> sometimes things are just the way they are god has already given me what i needed around me um to appreciate or be more thankful of and so trying to reach for more is not always the answer you know i i um so we have five kids and um i always say that uh, being a parent's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I, you know, again, I, I feel like I don't, maybe I don't learn something new every day, but I certainly did learn a lot this summer. So my middle child uh, is no longer with me. Uh, and I believe she's in a, not in a good situation. And uh, so it was very difficult. And um, so the three youngest kids are with me full time for five years. You know, their mother only had supervised visits because the court saw how horrible this was, you know, the cult influence. And, um, you know, I poured uh, everything I could into these kids because I'm a dad. That's my job. You know, I don't deserve medals. I mean, what was the other option? To not do it, right? So it's not, that's the way I look at it. But the point is that, you know, you love a spouse or a child, and that person could turn on you or something bad could happen. Love them anyway. You mm -hmm. can build a business and a career, and it can be torn down overnight. Do it anyway. You can uh, do anything in your life with something, an inanimate object, a job, a career, a person, and it get taken away. Do it anyway. Because in the long run, everything you do is really about your relationship with the Lord. So I love that child, and I still love that child. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't make that child think and act the way I want her to. I love her anyway. And she's the Lord's and she belongs to the Lord. And um, so with everything we do, really in the long run, whether it's this podcast or writing books or broadcast or whatever it is, it's about my relationship with the Lord. And, and I really, that really hit home and I think I really finally learned that lesson 
at 55. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you mentioned your age, but I mean, I think we're all learning all the time too. I mean, I'm, I'm in my twenties and sometimes I'm like, wow, I always knew this, like in about what God has told me in my life. I've always been told to believe this thing, but it took me this long to actually get it. And I think, I don't know, maybe that's God's sense of humor where like, maybe, yeah, maybe you're in your fifties or we're in our twenties, but to God, it's all the same. And we're just always learning because we're his, his children. So, and something that we really appreciate, appreciate about you, Peter, is like your openness with your story because it's a lot of details and it could be humiliating for a lot of people. And like, what, what, is it my own curiosity is to ask you, like, what makes you so, I guess, brave to do that, to like share details about your life, knowing that, you know, you'll be up there for scrutiny. People might ask, like, did that really happen? Or like, oh, I can't believe he would do that or believe that. Like, how, do you ever have to push through those kind of thoughts? Well, there's a couple of ways I'll answer that. First of all, thank you for the, for the comment. But I, and I'm not trying to deflect it. But you know, when people say, "Wow, it was very brave of you or courageous to do that," I, I'm like, again, thank you. But I, I kind of look at it like, well, what was my other option to, to just internalize internalize it and not use it to try and help other people? Like seriously. So of course I'm going to do this. Um, the other way I would answer it is, you know, having been a sports broadcaster for many years, uh, that was a career where, of course, everybody that you were broadcasting to thinks they could do it better than you. So you have to have a thick skin. So, I'm, you know, and as a basketball player, you know, I got you know, chewed out all the time. Young, you know, what are you doing? So I had thick <laughs> skin. Um, but most importantly, I do feel like um, that this is my calling at this point. Um, I, I went through it for a reason. I wish I could have learned these lessons in another way. And... Um, if I had been more open about all of these really crazy things that we were doing and thinking, maybe it wouldn't have gone this far. But because I was silent for so long, for so many years, that's how it was enabled to go on. So I think, all right, if I can share my story, and you've got to share it all. Now, there were some things I definitely kept out of the book. Uh, criminal, no, but you're really bad. I kept them out of the book. I wasn't going to share everything. Um, but you know, you got to share all these details so that people can realize, oh my goodness, uh, that could happen to me. Uh, that could happen to my friend, you know, my cousin, uh, so-and-so. So it was not a difficult decision, uh, I guess, to finally drill down and answer your question. When I wrote the memoir, it was during COVID. And when I finally decided, yeah, I'm going to write this, I finally, you know, I felt like the Lord had given me all the answers. I could really look back and see how this all happened. I couldn't type fast enough. I couldn't get the words down on my computer fast enough. But then I sat on it for about two years, year and a half, two years, before I decided I'm going to publish it. And, and now that I have, I've had so many people say thank you, um, and it and it brings up, like you, Joss, maybe not the same thing, but something similar. Oh, I can sympathize, or that reminds me of, I'm not the only one that went through that. And uh, so I've never regretted it, um, the decision to do this, decision to publish the book. And I'll also say this, too, not trying to just keep talking, but, you know, I talk about in the book, there was a moment, nine months into when all this happened. And I would show up at the real estate office and, you know, red puffy eyes from crying and I'd lost 30 pounds. I mean, I was I looked horrible. I couldn't sit still at my desk. I'd go walk around town. You know, and I'm six foot five and I would have this big gray trench coat. <laughs> like, who was this guy stalking town, right? You know, and um, I finally told them all what was going on so they would know from me rather than hear it from gossip. And there was about 20 people in the room when I shared all this. And, uh, <laughs> um, 
No one knew. No one had any idea uh, what was going on. Mm. And I think, oh my gosh, I thought it was so obvious. I thought people were going to say, Peter, we knew. No one knew. So I think about, you know, the the rude uh, clerk at the grocery store or the guy that cuts you off on the highway. You never know what that person is going through. And um, most people either have been through something difficult or currently are or they will. And so it's just another way of reminding people, you know, be kind because you don't know what that other person is going through. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a message we we all always need to hear. And that feeling of being so alone in a room full of people or surrounded by people that you think may be involved in your life and to have them, you know, have the realization that they know so little is, I mean, I, I, I can imagine how crushing that would be. And I, I think that's something that, especially with um, our age and where we're trying to figure out things in life, so much of what we talk about is like finding that right community. And so I've been in a place where I've felt like there's a lot of people around me and they know so little of me. And so after this experience you went through, how did you go about finding a healthy community and what, what was that feeling like once you found it? You know, it's, 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 it's so ironic because that healthy community that I'm in, I was in it all the time. They just hmm. didn't know. So we moved up to Montana when Paige and I were still together to send our kids to this wonderful little private Christian school outside of Bozeman. And it's uh, you know a largely Dutch community, a farming community, and uh, it's called Church Hill, <laughs> which is so appropriate. And um, and yet you know all these people knew you know who we were, and, and they, they would they were stunned when they found out what was going on. But yet, so then when I finally you know got out of, of the cold, got out of that cold mindset, then I really embraced. Uh, those people so that the people at the school and the church started going to a church and um, really sharing with them, like really letting them into my life, right? Because I guess my story is kind of like it proves you can be in and around all these people and yet be completely isolated because I hadn't opened up. I hadn't made myself vulnerable. I hadn't shared anything about me, right? So they didn't know anything about me. So it's different now. And so that community was right around me the whole time. But, but now I have allowed them in, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about vulnerability. And I think I always hear this idea of leaning into community. And I think you make a great point that it's not just standing or being in the room with people, but it's you know potentially even going first with being vulnerable and sharing where you're at. I think I can remember when I was younger in my faith, that was intimidating or it felt weird or uncomfortable, but it does take that step of being more vulnerable than you're comfortable with or you think the situation calls for to encourage someone else to to do the same and really connect on a deeper level. Yeah, and you know, just being honest, right? I mean, you know, nobody's perfect. We're all going through this journey together. We all have ups and downs. And, uh, you know, it's not like I'm just trying to air my dirty laundry <laughs> with the world because I kind of <laughs> did in the book, but, but that's not the point. Uh, it's just, you know, being, being honest, right? And, you know, like people would ask me, so the other day in church, it's, you'll get a kick out of this. You know, for years, people would ask me, how are you doing? And of course, the first thing I do is lie. I'm fine, right? We all do that. How are you doing? I'm fine. And so in church the other day, you know, this, this uh, couple, you know, they read the book. They know all about us. You know, and the, the woman used to be friends with Paige. And she, how are you doing? I'm like, fine. And she says, are you lying? <laughs> like, no, no, I really need it this time. Yeah. <laughs> we both laughed. <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, I know we've gone all over the place and down different rabbit holes and stuff, but I I can't say enough how much we appreciate just your message and your heart for caring for people and trying to share a cautionary tale um, through your experiences and through sharing so much of what you went through. Um, I think this is just such an important conversation to have and something that, like I said earlier, it, it may not be that we find ourselves in a cult, but there are so many elements of coercion and of manipulation that we can see and see still the hope that you experienced in Christ once you came out of that and were able to, you know, kind of ha- have that experience where the, the veil was torn for you and you actually got to, to have that one-on-one relationship with Jesus that we're all searching at. I just think it's so inspiring. And so, um, Peter, I'd love to, to just give you a chance to let our audience know where they can connect with you and learn a little bit more about you and, and your book. Sure. Thank you. So again, the book is Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can also go um, to my website. It's authorpeteryoung.com. It's got links to my YouTube site as well. I've got lots of uh, videos. I love to tell stories. Uh, you can also find my book, The Blue Team, on Amazon. And I just want to kind of like parting thoughts. If I could just kind of leave the audience with like these, these two comments. The first one would be to impress upon the audience how important fellowship is maintaining strong communication and fellowship with with other believers and 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 know second point that the truth doesn't mind being questioned the truth will never mind being questioned Hmm. right so you can always question it because it can provide the answer so go ahead have those difficult tough conversations have the uncomfortable conversations so that way this friend does not slide off into isolation that you Mm -hmm. keep that person in the fold have that difficult conversation and and maintain communication amen i think that's a a great note to to end it off peter thank you so much for joining us today yeah Yeah, thank thank you very much it's been a lot of fun thank you thank you so much and for those of you who are listening we are every effort podcast We have a new episode out every Tuesday, so be sure to look out for that. And until next week, I guess I'll add this in too. You can also check out episode 32, where we do talk about our experience, or my experience rather, being part of a questionable church. So episode 32, be sure to check that out, and we'll see you next week.